we have some, you know, more technical questions. My question is schedulers that computation, is it the bottleneck? Because threads count in this scheduler equal to CPU cores count, and this scheduler is default for all time-related operators. So the problem we, I believe we had something like blah 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 dot debounce five times in the app simulatency, and the problem we had is that the device we tested on had only four cores, and the next time we applied some time-related operator with this scheduler by default, the code at this point were stuck because no more thread workers were available for that scheduler and he just waited for another worker to be released. So do you think it was a good idea to do that or not? I believe it may be a problem in production for many apps and services that runs RxJava, or it's only my incorrect understanding of that. So the computation scheduler was meant to have it basically independent computations. And of course, it supports some timed operation. So as I understood your case, you had basically maybe one, one sequence or, or some correlated sequences that all wanted to use the computation scheduler. And because, yes, the, the number of workers are equal to the number of CPUs, and you can have some cross-operation blocking, in quotes, that will, will yield you this, this situation. So the main intent was to support independent data flows. Each computation runs in, in its separate worker, and there might be some overlap, like there might be some cross-blocking, but uh, it only happens when either your computation is really, really expensive or you are actually blocking on the computation scheduler. So, so in your situation, it sounds like you should have used some other scheduler for, for the time-related operation. And the moment the, the appropriate time come, came out, you should have switched to another scheduler for an I.O. scheduler, a new thread scheduler, and thus you, you have kept the proper timing because the timer thread is independent of the computation that runs after that in the sequence. Okay, makes sense. Um, all right, so yeah, let, let's leave this question. <laughs> uh, we've, we've fixed it that with Android specific scheduler because it's it's more efficient for time-related operators. It's just handler thread scheduler, but okay, I, I got I got your point. Yeah, so Rx Java is quite unopinionated on scheduling, so it gives you an option to basically take an arbitrary executor or executor service and turn it into a scheduler, and you can have all sorts of uh, threading behavior. Right. You can apply it to your to your operators, and of course. Uh, I thought this question came up because there was a blog post about why the computation scheduler doesn't have one extra thread. And, and the answer is it doesn't have to have. It was designed to utilize your CPU for computational purposes, basically independent computations. So the, the, I, I guess the original idea, this, this plus one, comes from the concurrence in practice book. Uh, there was a suggestion, but uh, those use cases were mixed. I.O., non-I.O. computation, and so on. And 
at that point. And of course, if you think about the fork join pool in, in Java 8, it has to consider the case of blocking in that and of course have to start a new thread to allow the other computations to resume. In, in this respect, you might also happen to think that the computation scheduler would be a great choice for, for fork join operation inside Oracle Java. You know the case when you flat map over a sequence and for each of the elements you run, run on a synchronous computation and uh, combine the results. That can also have some performance implications because there are limited threads and uh, the tasks are randomly scheduled to each of these threads and if one is stalled by any reason, all subsequent operations that have, that seem to have been scheduled to the same worker will suffer from this. In this case, as many have experienced, if you use a multi-threaded executor, just a regular executor you get from the executor's uh, factory class, that doesn't have that strong guarantees that the, the built-in RxJava version schedulers have, and they do what it, it looks like a work-stealing uh, logic. And thus, if one is blocked, the other will continue with all those elements that uh, are left in, in, in the process. Right, right. So I, I understand the purpose of scheduler abstraction, right? So the users may implement their own implementation, but JDK Executors API, it's not efficient enough for RxJava. Why RxJava has its own schedulers? And was it a good idea from your point of view to include some implementations to the library itself? So the fact that we have a separate scheduler which originated from the rx.net and of course the, the invention from Marik Meyer is, is a cornerstone of this whole reactive programming paradigm because it, it, the scheduling is basically a dimension orthogonal to the data delivery. And thus, you can swap in and out all sorts of implementations of concurrency through the, the abstraction of the scheduler. In some sense, the, the schedulers are the, somewhat the API of the executor service. On the other hand, they, are, uh, they have to abstract in a way that can be implemented by other forms of concurrency, actors, agents, thread pool, normal threads, all sorts of things. On the other hand, it has to support some additional features, such as mass cancellation of tasks, which is not really available with the, the regular executor service. You can shut down an executor service, but then though that particular executor is unusable for further use. Now, I think that if you have computation scheduler and one shuts down because there was a cancellation involved from one of the clients, then you can no longer execute uh, computational tasks. So in RxJava, we use the executor service, specifically the scheduled executor services, and we do additional tracking of tasks, which basically represent islands of interrelated computation that can be canceled together without affecting other computations running on the same thread or executor. So it, it was a good idea. And of course, uh, the, uh, the other aspect is convenience. 
because uh, from out of box you you can introduce concurrency in your processing quite easily and you don't have to start out by newing out some schedulers based on some executors and of course you have to consider to shut them down when everything has finished because your application wouldn't quit at that point so i, I think it, it was a good idea and it, of course it's also a good idea that we have overloads that let you customize the, the use cases for those schedulers at your own will. Yeah, you mean RxJava plugin, right? Not specifically, I, I, but for one hand, yes, you can use the plugins to override, but it has its own issues. I don't want to go into that <laughs> in this uh, podcast, but uh, I meant the overloads that take a custom scheduler. And of course, scheduler is, is by itself uh, just a, a thin shell where you can use schedulers.from to wrap your own scheduler, or if you are inclined, you can write your own. Okay, okay, totally makes sense. The next question comes from our listeners. What is the in-depth and technical difference between subscribe-on and observe-on? How does calling them in different orders or even multiple times with different scalars affect the observable? Okay, so what is the difference between observe on and subscribe on? This is, a, I think, the most commonly asked question. And I'm a bit surprised the original question wants to know the, the, the technical details. <laughs> so I, I guess he wanted to know the functional difference first, which is that the, these two operators, subscribe on and observe on, act on different points in the lifetime of the data flow. Subscribe on happens when the subscriptions happen. Subscription happen if, if you are familiar with some examples of RxJava, that for example, use the create factory method is when your body of the, the, the create and lambda method is run. That's the subscription time. There is, at this point, no data flowing and basically side effects happen. For example, a network connection is, is established. Observe on acts at the runtime of the data flow when each event is created and now has to be shipped to another thread to, to be processed for, for some purpose. Typically in Android, you have a pair of these operators you, have, you use subscribe on to make a network connection on, on the IO thread. And once the data arrive, you use observe on to act on the data on the main thread. Otherwise, you would get some interesting exceptions, such as network on main thread exception. If you leave out the subscribe on and if you leave out the observe on, then probably in strict mode, you will get an exception that the user interface elements cannot be changed from a different thread than the, yeah. the main thread. So, so uh, I hope this sheds some light about the functional differences. So technical differences that if we go back to that uh, create example when, when the observable body is run, what you can think of if subscribe on happens is that you new up the thread and drop all those operations you wanted to the observable to do into a runnable and run it on some different thread. When you think about the observe on internals and in, on a technical level, whenever you call your subscriber.onnext, your client will receive an event. Instead of doing that directory, you basically new up a new thread or take a, an already existing thread pool and submit a task that will emit that value you wanted 
but on of course in this case on a different thread right right yeah i have an example that i usually use to explain the difference between subscribe on and observe on i hope it will be good enough for a podcast too probably it will make sense for somebody so imagine you want to read some really huge text file and of course you want to do the reading on not on the main thread for example on android right and then imagine you want to find if text in the file contains some char sequence that you're looking for and probably you would like to not do this on the io thread for example just for example and probably you will like to do this search on the computation thread and then you would like to receive the complete result does text contains some sequence or not on the main thread right so the chain that you may write will be something like observable from callable read from disk then something like map text contains something and then you will subscribe to it and receive the result so with subscribe on you can switch initial computation to some different thread subscribe on schedulers.io will move the reading to the io thread then if you would like to apply searching on the different thread you will apply observe on write after the initial reading from the disk so you will switch the observing of the results of previous chain to some different thread observe on schedulers.computation and in the end you would like to receive the complete result on the main thread so after map does text contains something you will apply another observe on to move the identification to main thread so this is my short example of you know practical usage of subscribe one and observe one but technically it's just as david described it's a subscription time and runtime of the data flow so hope that will help somebody yes it was an apt example so and and of and uh, luckily they touched the subject of having multiple observe one and of course, there was a question about what about having multiple subscribe on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Please elaborate on that. So if you have multiple subsequent subscribe on calls, even if you might have something trivial as a map or filter between them, the property is that that subscribe on that is closer to the source, the original source, let's assume we are running from a range from one to one million. The one that is closer to this range operator those threads will be the one that is going to emit and subscribe to the source. All other subscriber on later on within the same chain, if you don't split it and such things, won't be functionally efficient or actually do anything with the stream. Unfortunately, when you apply these, those operators still uh, accumulate resources and hold on to threads and thread pool and some other resources until the whole sequence completes. So if you have the option, don't uh, apply multiple subscribe on in, in, in the same sequence. On the other hand, if you have multiple observe on and hopefully operators between the, these observe on Operators, that has a completely legal and functional meaning. You are basically moving computation or behavior among different threads in the sequence. 
So if you consider the sequence as a pipeline, you have stages in the pipeline, and some stages might run in different threads, not on, not the, not on the same thread as the original emitter. So in, in, in your great example, you want to find some text in the subtext in, in the main text. You would observe on the original data, the full data, and move it to the computation scheduler and the computation thread where you do the, the heavy operation of the contains. And once the contains returns a true or false, then you use another observon to move the, the observation of this true or false value back to the main thread. So applying two observon with operation in between them is, is legal. If you have two observ subsequent observon, it has the same property as basically the later one will be the, the most dominant, and you you practically wasting a, a scheduler or thread pool if you have two observon just subsequent to each other. If you mix subscribe on or and then observe on or or the other way around first the observe on and subscribe on functionally they they are equal equivalent uh, it is legitimate to use it i prefer to apply subscribe on first and observe on later technically there are some subtle differences mainly to back pressure related stuff but uh, this is a more a longer discussion i i plan to have a blog post about subscribe on and observe on technical details later on this will be awesome I'll, I'll read that. And uh, I would like to add, so the problem we, we discussed that with retrofit and or, or other libraries that when you call some um, function and you get an observable, you might have an attached subscribe on already in, in the sequence. And of course, due to the explained properties, you, you can't override that subscribe on operator anymore. I, I believe some might think this is the flow of the RxJava library or, or the concept of the reactive programming in general, but I, I instead believe that it is more likely the problem of the library itself that uses RxJava. Instead of giving the user the option to specify the, a scheduler where the user wants to run this initial side-affecting subscription process, the, it decided to have its own and now all, all the users have to live with it in some way. I, I think there is a question about will this be changed in version 2? Not really, because as I mentioned, I don't believe this is a problem with RxJava itself, although depending on how advan more advanced features get implemented in, in, in RxJava version 2. I mentioned a few times, I'm thinking about the operator fusion, which is a very, very advanced topic. You will have the option to do some unrolling of the upstream operators. And with some trickery, you might be able to replace that scheduler. And Technically, it will be a different stream, but you have the option to unroll, apply different, and reapply all subsequent operators on the, on the new sequence to get your scheduler instead of the original bad scheduler. Wow, this is so you you want to something like copy the chain and change it, right? I mean, replace and change every operator in the chain. Something like that, as, as if wow. you would go back in, in the sequence to an earlier stage and start a new stage. 
because as you know and the audience knows observables are practically immutable if you apply an operator on them you get a completely new sequence so in general if you hold on to each step of this application so you have a, your source you map that's a new op observable you filter that's another observable of course you can go back to the original first source and now start a new sequence with different operators but uh, this is a this won't be a officially supported technique i i would guess with version 2 just wanted to mention, there is always, so RxJava is a library where you have exceptions and exceptions to the exceptions. <laughs> yeah, got it. This, this would be awesome. I, I'd like to see that change in RxJava version 2. Thanks for mentioning that. Okay, so uh, next question is, what is your opinion about single and completable? Okay, so single was grown out from the requirement from some designers that wanted to capture the fact that some sequences have only one value, exactly one value or an error. Of course, observable itself can support this purpose. And I don't know, maybe it's some fear of what if some sequence have more than one value, then you, of course, you have the usual take or single operators to ensure that you have only a single element. But Ben and the others thought that why not capture the semantics? And of course, this meant increasing the, the API size, the method count that is quite hurtful for, for the Android folks, 65K limit, I mean. So it was decided I, I wasn't for it. I, I was a bit against it. As I mentioned, Observable can do all those things. And uh, unfortunately, the, the current design in version 1 is that basically wants to reuse all those internal features of the observable instead of optimizing directly for this single value property. So basically what you have currently in, in, in RxJava as single is a somewhat mangled version of the observable. On the subject of completable, that's a different story. And I think it is awesome because I designed and implemented it first for, for version 2 and it seemed that there is a need for such kind of special observable in version 1 as well right now. So completable has the aim to not have any values in the sequence, but only a completion or error. This is mainly for typically side affecting operations, analogous to promises or futures or advanced futures in some sense. So by itself, that wasn't really interesting to me. So, But uh, frankly, when I was doing the re-implementation for version 2, I got uh, some small back-channel information that unless something like a completable, and, and originally I didn't want to Im implement, but after all did single implemented in, in version 2, I was somewhat forced to actually implement it. And uh, in version 2, there was also a request to have an observable variant that doesn't do back pressure just like the original .NET and early RxJava version. So I got the impression that RxJava version 2 won't be released until these features get into that. So I did it and then completable was ported back to Java 1 and now it seems more and more people are finding it and, and enjoying its benefits. Definitely, because sometimes you 
you you just need to have side effect observable but observable void will you will have to return null because of java type system it's kind of ugly but yeah completable <laughs> completes this goal really good also about single Initially, I was not a fan of single two. I don't know if you, David, remember that, but I, I was arguing about that with Ben. But then, actually, I found that mo most of the observables we write in the Android apps, for example, are they they return one result, and you know, w working in project when you return observable from everything is just you never know until you look into the implementation code. How many results will it return? Maybe it will be empty, maybe it will return two or three or something. And single saves a lot of time. You just don't need to think about it because single either emits one result or emits a error. It can't be empty, it can't emit two results or something. So I'd hugely recommend to, you know, use single instead of observable if possible. And you can convert single to observable and observable to single, so it's not a problem. I don't know, it has almost all operators you need, so I definitely recommend that. Yes, finally I, I accepted the need for its existence. I'm not satisfied with its performance and architecture. Generally, version 2 got a completely fresh architecture with highly optimized operators and more operators, to be frank, Still, version one gains operators each week. You, I think, you committed a few of them lately. So, so yeah. If you know that you have one value and performance isn't much of a problem for you. Anyway, generally, if you you are dealing with single items one at a time, you are already at a performance disadvantage compared to a longer running stream of multiple values. So. If you if you think the the API design is clearer and the intention is better with single, then I also suggest you you use and design your APIs on on the lines of single. I'm not sure I I follow that single performance is worse than observable. I mean, yeah, there are some operators that just you know convert. <laughs> the single to observable to apply operator implementation from the observable, but we've rewritten most of them to own implementations, so mostly single performance is pretty good, at least for me. So yeah, I side I see the internals, so I can I I know really precisely what the cost of each operation and each application is. And and what is what is currently the, the common for single is to reuse the observable operators from the internal package. But those operators were designed for multi-value streams, and so you have quite a lot of overhead because those operators will emit an onNext and an onCompleted. But of course, there is no uncompleted in single, and you have to strip those events, ignore them, but they are still there in the Im immediate operators. So there, there is quite a lot of overhead. Well, yeah, probably, but uh, mostly for the tasks we are doing with Rx Java, something like comparing, you know, Boolean. Even if it's atomic boolean or something, it's not that costly in compared to you know something like uh, going to the network. So for sure, we we have to you know optimize everything if it's possible. But yeah, 
I agree, yeah. So the next, and probably we are near to the finish. So the next question is how to test asynchronous code that includes observables with JUnit and how to use test subscriber. I guess we can just give short explanation about that. So yeah, the first question is answered by the second question. You use test subscriber. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so you have asynchronous code. The main fear I see is that your test runs, but your, your, your sequence didn't complete. And you have now a successful test, but didn't really do anything. To, to remedy it, we have developed the test subscriber that you, you subscribe to your sequence with, with an instance of the test subscriber and there is a, there is a method called await terminal event which will wait until the, the terminal event is delivered through the, the observable sequence and then you can have assertions applied to the test subscriber. You have assert value, assert completed, assert this, assert that and so on. So basically, it's not really related to JUnit, but you will get or assertion errors when some requirement didn't match inside the, the test subscriber. Of course, we have the test scheduler, which main purpose is to get rid of asynchronous operations completely and gives you the control to move a virtual time ahead at your own place. You can, you can test and validate some operators, but of course, I suggest you, you run them with real schedulers, not just the test scheduler, to, to be sure you don't have some random latent concurrency problem if you are applying it to, to your custom implementations of operators or sources. There's a question about how to use the test subscriber and just look at the available methods. It has the option to interoperate with the mocked observable. Many of the RxJava tests use the Mockito library. You might be familiar, which you mock an, uh, an interface or some class, and you can verify certain methods have been called with certain parameters. You can have in-order in checks between those. Uh, you can use them, but uh, they become really inconvenient when, for example, you have to validate that a million values have been delivered to a mocked object. So instead, uh, first I would use the, the test subscriber and for maybe shorter sequences where you really want to check if some activity resulted in certain number of events and you want to do additional activities with additional events, then you can use the Mokito library and the verification support it has. Mm -hmm. um. I don't know, David, if you want to elaborate on that, but I've tried to build an observable for testing. So asserting will be part of the chain, but I face it a problem that standard operators like map or flat map or something like this will return an observable instead of my custom class observable. So I won't be able to then apply my operators. I don't know if you have some plans about changing that in version two, so we could, you know, extend the observable and we will be able to apply standard operators and keep the type of the observable after applying some standard operators. So this is a common upcoming complaint regarding the, the architecture of RxJava. And unfortunately, Java itself isn't helpful in this regard. If you think about rx.net, the C-sharp language has the so-called extension methods, which appear to be instance methods if you have the, the specific 
class or in the instance, and you can apply seemingly fluent operations even on your own implementation of an observable, as as it were, somebody uh, as it were somebody else's or the standard observable. Unfortunately, we don't have this this feature in Java yet, and I don't believe we will get one. So the decision was made back then to have a, a, a common observable, fill it with all sorts of methods, and uh, have uh, live with the fact that you will lose the concrete type of the observable pretty soon. This also affects the connectable observable and other kinds of observables that are standard and extending observable directly. So, so for example, if you map on the on a connectable observable, you don't get back a connectable observable, just a, a regular observable, and you have to remember the original instance in order to call the connect method. So, unfortunately, I don't think we can do much about this feature and. Uh, if you want to have some some methods code on your original observer, that means that you basically want to execute something outside of individual uh, streams or data flows, instantiated data flows, uh, that uh, might not be uh, generally a good idea to to propagate as as a type through all those operations. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think there is a solution via generics. So imagine if any operator will return not the observable from some T, but will return a generic. So you will be able to parameterize the child class and return concrete class from the standard operators. Probably it's solvable. I'm not sure, but... It it's more complicated than that, and uh, if you look at the Java 8 stream API, its definition is, is not just stream of T, but that it has a base stream of T and a stream of T U or something like that. So it has some convoluted generics logic to appear to maintain the, the, the type of the original stream source, but uh, it's quite of a convoluted solution. and. I'm, I frankly I don't really understand how it works. <laughs> so yeah, the problem with with your example is that let's assume you have a custom observable. Now that observable basically has to override almost all operators, map, filter, flat map, to make them return your custom observable. But the fact that you have a custom observable with probably custom behavior is that. Once you, you once you new up a new instance from your original old instance, you now have the the original behavior duplicated. So the type is not really helpful in in that situation. Yeah, probably. So yeah, it, it's a fact that you lose the original type quite quick, quite quickly. So and I I wouldn't recommend. Start out starting by extending the observable in a classical way, but to use create or 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 the lift if you want custom behavior and not rely on that specific type of the original. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, makes sense. Mm, so 
the last question we have is I believe you've already answered a lot of this, but if you'll be able to change some things in Rx Java version one, what would you change except that we've discussed above? The management. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, I really like to release more often. Oh, I got it, got it. So, yeah, other than that, the version one has a, a, a compact architecture. There is not much room left for changes or, or, or further optimizations, really. All, all I could do is just re-implement it in, in some other architectures, such as version two in reactive man streams manner. Mm -hmm. Okay, <laughs> that's funny answer. <laughs> so I believe we've done. I just wanted to mention a couple of things. So first thing is that I work at New York Times in the Android team, and we have a few open positions. And one of them is game development, not actually, you know, 3D game or something, but yeah, it's game development. And another one is framework development. It's basically, you know, just core of the app. So you can come and apply and work with me. We use Rx Java heavily. Also, friend at Disney is looking for a contract Android developer in North America. You can ping him at mike at cloud.tv you can just email him if you want to apply to this position and i wanted to mention that you as a listener can leave your feedback about this episode and previous ones at the github repository which i use as a website for the podcast so i'll leave the links in the show notes or something and david thank you very much to to be on the show i thank you for having me and Take care. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. Goodbye, listeners. Goodbye, David. Thanks a lot. Yay, we did it. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Yeah. <laughs>